Long ago, a young boy who was now my age then said to me that the 4th of July was his favorite day of the year. And as we watched fireworks exploding over the Pekin Stadium, my mind was captivated by the beauty of the light painted on the darkened sky, evoking memories of days and old glories gone past. You see, it was five years ago to that day and date, 22 years ago to today's day and date, since I stood at the doorsteps of her grandfather's church, trading in the beauty of the glory and the glory of the setting sun for a new day and a new life together, and the beauty and the glory in her eyes, as she said yes. Oh, don't get me wrong, there would be times where she would say no, but today she said yes. And even when her words were no, her choice was yes, as she stayed, as a new military career was conceived and then born nearly nine months later on the 4th of July. And as she stayed at home to raise children and an army of friends and colleagues here in Pekin, I would go around the world and experience various communities and cultures of peoples representing every nation and language. But in our nation, the language of the 4th of July is best represented to me by a young daughter, hand over heart, as she sings the national anthem, as she prepares to watch fireworks burst in the air, knowing at that very moment, 6,000 miles away on a C-130, lifting off the runway, wheels up, her daddy was coming home to her after four months gone. Yes, the 4th of July has been very good to me and my family, much better than I deserve. We have suffered and sacrificed little, and we have benefited very much. Yes, my benefit is built on the suffering and sacrifice of another, another generation, another dream in which certain truths are held to be self-evident, where all men are created equal, along with their wives and their children and their neighbors and foreign men and women of every and language, whosoever would come, let them come through the gate. Endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, these men and women courageously chose life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in order to secure the blessings of liberty for themselves and their posterity. This liberty was secured through the suffering and the sacrifice of others, and in the same way has been sustained from that first generation through the greatest generation. As David Goldfein, general of the Air Force, once said to us, your families are thinking of you often, but what they are likely not thinking of is an imminent attack by a foreign enemy on domestic soil. And the reason they're not thinking this is because of your willingness to temporarily leave your family and defend liberty from the enemies of the world. So thank you to all those who would leave their families and homelands temporarily in defense of liberty. Thank you all the more to you who take with express purpose this desire and mission to carry the light and life of liberty to everyone that you would meet with a hope and inspiration for liberty and justice for all. For in doing so, you exemplify the heart of a missionary and you echo the words of the greatest missionary ever who once said, 
Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. Therefore, today, let us be among the few who courageously say yes to the one who offers us this gate of liberty, seeking not to save our own lives, but to give our lives in rescue of others, those who are lost, working not for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, will give to all those who believe that he is the bread of life. Will you pray with me? Father, my words are mortal and incomplete, but you have the words of eternal life. So Lord, by your grace and for the glory of Jesus, would you open our eyes and ears and our hearts that we might desire you and that we might find you all satisfying and saving for our souls. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So do I have any grandmothers here with us this morning? I would imagine that there are at least a few grandmothers watching online. And as I think about grandmothers, grandmothers do many things well. I know that one of the things that grandmothers do well, my grandmothers, they love to bake and they do it well. I look at my wife and now my daughter who they're baking and they do it so well. And especially around the holidays, such as the 4th of July, grandmothers love to bake cakes and casseroles, pies and puddings, ham and chicken and turkey, you know the bit. And at every meal, what is there? There's wonderfully baked bread. And it's not hard to remember all of the amazing aromas of the kitchen or the flavors of the foods. They evoke memories within us of happiness and tranquility, love and care. The taste and satisfaction of bread was great. But you know, the love of grandma was greater. In fact, it's not grandma's bread that we miss. It's grandma that we miss and grandpa. And bread helps us to remember our loving and cherished times with grandma and grandpa. This is why God made bread. Not just so that we could eat bread and be nourished by it, but so that it could point to something greater. The greater love of God reflected in grandma and ultimately reflected in Christ. This is why God made bread. So that when you eat the bread, you would think of Christ, that you would desire Christ, that you would love Christ and treasure Christ in your heart. After all, it was Jesus Christ himself who said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In John 6, we read a story about bread. But as Jesus explains to the crowds, it's about more than just bread. See, bread points as a sign to the glory of God and our souls being satisfied in Jesus. There are many things and people in this world whom we might look to for satisfaction, but only Jesus can satisfy our souls. You may know Jesus came to save your soul, but he's, done, he's come to do more than just save you from hell. He's come to meet your most deepest and longing desires. That's what this story in John 6 is about. Jesus and not bread 
being the savior and the satisfier of your souls. So let's take a look and see what Jesus says and does in John. Notice in verse 2, there was a great crowd of people following Jesus because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. You need to be asking yourself this morning, why am I following Jesus? This intrigued the crowd to the point where they stayed with Jesus all evening, and now they were hungry. The disciples thought, well, let's just send them away. But Jesus, it says in verse 6, knew what he intended to do. Have the people sit down on the grass, he told the disciples. Interestingly, there was not plenty of food, but there was plenty of grass to sit before Jesus. So after Jesus gave thanks to God and distributed the bread, the Bible says that the crowds, 5,000 men plus their wives and children, ate as much as they desired. And afterwards, the disciples filled up 12 basketfuls of food. And then the story ends in verse 14 and 15 by the crowd saying, Surely this is the prophet who came into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to make him king by force, again went to the mountain and withdrew by himself. So why were the crowds following Jesus? Verse 2 and also verse 14 and 15 tell us. They were looking for the signs that Jesus performed. After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they intended to make him king by force. So the crowds are following Jesus because of signs. And not just the signs, but the benefit that the signs gave. In one case, the benefit of physical healing. And in another case, the benefit of physical nourishment. And finally, in another case, they intended to make him king, the benefit of physical protection and deliverance from those awful Romans, both the Roman government and those pagan citizens. But why did Jesus then withdraw to the mountain in verse 15? And I think the answer is this, because the crowds misinterpreted the signs. The sign they saw was the multiplying of bread for 5,000 people meant that Jesus was powerful enough to fulfill all of their physical longings and desires. But the sign that Jesus wanted them to see was greater than that. He wanted them to see that he himself was the bread of life, who came not just to satisfy physical hunger, but to satisfy spiritual hunger. You see, the crowds wanted to satisfy their stomachs, but Jesus wanted to satisfy their souls. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 that many live as enemies of the cross and their God is their stomach and their mind is set on earthly things. But not so with us, he says, we eagerly, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So this morning, church, is your mind set on Christ? Are you eagerly awaiting a Savior who will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body? Or are you looking for Jesus to simply bring you security in your earthly nation and make you comfortable in your earthly life? Is your mind set on earthly things or is your mind set on Christ today, the author and the perfecter of your faith? 
Therefore, don't misunderstand what I said earlier about Jesus coming to satisfy all of your most longings and desires. His plan for you, listen, is not to simply add to your earthly cravings, but to give you a new appetite and to give you eternal cravings. Jesus created you to be satisfied in him, and he came to set you free from desiring temporary and insufficient garbage, as Paul would call it in Philippians 3. Today, he offers you himself to be received as far better and superior than any other desire or longing or craving or person to not only be washed in his blood, but to be satisfied in his blood. (laughs) So don't settle for the temporary and insufficient satisfiers that this world or this country would have to offer. Rather, throw them away as garbage that you might gain Christ and be found in him and be satisfied in him. Amen? So the story picks up where Mark picks it up in John 6, 24. But we know that this story is not about bread. It's about much more than bread. The crowds go searching for Jesus. Why were they searching for Jesus? Ask yourself this morning, why am I searching for Jesus? Now you might say, well, I'm, I'm not searching for Jesus this morning. I'm actually here just because my mom or maybe my grandma drug me to church. Somebody else might say, well, I'm, I'm actually here just because of the holiday. I'm not really searching for Jesus. I'm not really interested in Jesus. And yet I would say that the whole world is searching for Jesus. Why would I say that? Because the whole world is looking to fill up the longings and the cravings of their soul. The same soul that God created, the same soul that God ordained that Christ would be the savior and satisfier of. That's why, by the way, I think at the end of verse 27, Jesus says, for on the son of man, God the father has placed his seal of approval. In other words, God ordained Christ to be the satisfier and the savior of human souls. So the satisfaction that you're looking for this morning, it's found in Jesus Christ. So you can miss Jesus by one of two ways. You can miss Jesus by saying, well, I don't don't believe that he is the savior and satisfier of my soul. You could miss him that way, but that's not how the crowds in this passage missed him. And yet at the end, in John 6, 6, 6, It says many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Why would anyone want to stop following Jesus? I think the answer is because of the other way that you can miss Jesus. You can miss him by misinterpreting his signs and thinking that they mean something that they really don't mean. Jesus explains it in verse 26 and 7 like this. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed. In other words... You're misinterpreting the signs. But because you ate the loaves and had your fill, this is what you thought the signs were for, but it wasn't. What were they for? Jesus tells us in verse 27, we've already quoted it. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And I think what Jesus is saying is this. 
there's something greater than physical food that spoils. Something greater that we should prioritize and desire and give our lives away to. We were created by God to give our lives away to something greater than just temporary comforts and pleasures that deceive us in one of two ways. Either by fading away so quickly on us or by taking us captive and then destroying us. We were created by God to live in the freedom that he offers rather than being consumed by the fear that the world offers. So hear me on this. We are called to be saved from eating out of a dumpster by being satisfied by the bread of life. That's your purpose in life. That's my purpose in life. But the crowds followed Jesus because he filled their stomachs. They saw the benefit of the miracle, but not the Lord of the miracle. They looked at Jesus as their treasure maker, but not their treasure. They saw Jesus as useful, but not precious. Jesus gave these signs to point to himself as savior and satisfier. In other words, Jesus not only heals bodies of cancer and prays the Lord, Jesus saves the soul from sin, praise the Lord. Jesus not only fills stomachs, but he gives new appetites. Do you want a new appetite this morning? And Jesus, he's building a kingdom, but it's not through armed forces. Rather, it's by satisfying souls. The road to his kingdom is through his cross. And he invites you and me to pick up our cross and follow him to an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. (laughs) Therefore, don't settle. Don't settle for an earthly kingdom that is so quickly passing away. Follow Christ and eat the bread that he offers this morning. Well, you might be asking, well, how do I eat the bread that Christ offers Crowds ask it this way, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In other words, the work of God is to stop working. Stop working and start believing. Start looking, stop looking rather, to your own efforts and your ability to save you. Stop looking to your American pleasures and way of life to produce for you the satisfaction in your soul. Jesus alone can save you and satisfy your soul. And I think Jesus would say this to us. You think that you can work hard to produce for yourself through your own efforts and your own merit, that which will sustain and satisfy you. And I am telling you that that will never work. So throw it away, give it away, give it up. And turn to me, I will save you, I will satisfy you, I will be your sustainment, I will give you a new appetite, I will give you a new heart, I will give you a new spirit. So ladies and gentlemen, how will you respond to Jesus this morning? The crowds responded in verse 30 by asking Jesus for yet another sign. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And you know, I couldn't figure this out. Maybe you're like me. You you just had a sign yesterday. 
And now you need another one? What gives? And I think what gives is verse 31, giving us a clue to what they meant. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And this, as it is written, we discussed manna and Moses last week. This, as it is written, is from Exodus 16, 4, where the Israelites are once again grumbling to Moses and to God about not having enough food to eat and how Egypt was so much better because of all the pots of meat and everything that they wanted to eat. Well, the Lord hears their grumbling and tells Moses that he's going to answer them by raining down bread from heaven, Exodus 16, 4. And God would continue this on a daily basis for the next 40 years, the Israelites eating this bread from heaven. And now the crowds are standing before Jesus and recalling to him the scriptures that he was the author of and saying, if you keep supplying bread, we will keep following you. Thus, the interest in Jesus was only as deep as their next feeding or only as satisfying as the point that Jesus would meet their next request. So Jesus answers in two ways in verse 32 and 3. First, by pointing from Moses to God. In verse 32, it was not Moses who had given you this bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gave you true bread from heaven. And then in verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven that gives life to the world. Now, Jesus points from bread to himself. In other words, Jesus is saying to the crowds, look, it's easy for you to taste and see the goodness of bread and of Moses. But what I want you to taste and see is the goodness of God given to you in the Son of God who has come down as the true bread from heaven. The crowds had Jesus right in front of them and they preferred Moses. They had the offer of Jesus to bring them peace with God, enjoying him forever. And what did they do? They preferred bread. Now, Moses was a big deal. And in Deuteronomy 34, it said, Moses was the greatest prophet who had done all these signs and wonders in Egypt. But ladies and gentlemen, as great as Moses is, don't prefer Moses when you have Jesus standing in front of you. <laughs> Amen? In the same way, don't prefer your American kingdom when the kingdom of God has come upon you. For what bride stands at the altar and thinks of all of her old boyfriends? What groom looks into her eyes and thinks of anyone but her? So don't be like the crowds and have a puny view of God and the bread that he gives this morning. The bread that God gives us this morning is bread from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, to satisfy our souls. And he is standing in the flesh in front of these crowds, and they miss him. Verse 34, sir, always give us this bread. Look, they're missing him. They've done this before. The Jews in John chapter 2 said, Lord, give us a sign. What does Jesus say? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. 46 years it's taken to build this temple. What? They missed him. 
Nicodemus, John 3. Lord, nobody can do these signs unless they're from God. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. What's he reply? Wait a minute. How, how can somebody get back in their mother's womb and be born again? Missed him. John chapter 4 keeps going. The woman at the well. Jesus says, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, you'd ask him for a drink. Sir, you don't have a bucket. <laughs> and even the disciples in John 4 miss him, misunderstand him. When they say, Rabbi, take something and eat. And Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about. Wait a minute. Who gave him something to eat? Peter? Thaddeus. It was you, wasn't it, John? And the disciples would continue to miss Jesus and misunderstand Jesus as he spoke of his impending cross and death and ultimate resurrection. And even after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, we're going to talk about it next week. Acts chapter 1, it's coming next week. The disciples say, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they were looking for a physical kingdom and a physical king. But Jesus answers not by saying, oh, you shouldn't be looking for a physical king and kingdom because the Old Testament says there's going to be a physical king coming and a kingdom that he will establish forever. It is coming. But Jesus says, not yet. Don't concern yourself with the times and seasons, but here's what you do concern yourself with. Wait for power from the Holy Spirit and finish the work that I've called you to do to the ends of the earth. That's what you concern yourself with, not the physical kingdom. By the way, when we overly concern ourselves with the physical kingdom and the physical benefits of Christianity, and when we empty ourselves of Acts 1-8, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we marry ourselves up with the state, what you get historically is the dark ages. And Jesus says, not so with you, but he sums up the generation of his, his own generation in John chapter 4 by saying, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And the crowd in John 6 could see the tangible benefit of Jesus, but they could not see the intangible benefit of knowing Christ and being found in his presence. By the way, that's why I think verses 16 through 21 exist in this story about bread. John, like Matthew and Mark, records Jesus walking on water to frighten disciples on a rough sea. And yet, he does not record Jesus calming the storm or Peter walking on water to Jesus. Doesn't record them. So why doesn't he record them? And, as a matter of fact, why even record this story at all in the middle of this conversation about bread? I think the answer is because of verse 21, what John wanted us to focus on, when the disciples were willing to take him into the boat, uh, they immediately, the boat immediately reached sore that they were heading. And then the story's over. Why no mention of God's power working through Jesus or through Peter? I think the answer is because what John wanted us to focus on. He didn't want us to focus on the power of God to heal all of our storms. He didn't even want us to focus on the power of God working through us to walk above our storms. What he wanted us to focus on 
was the power of God working in us to change our appetites, to be willing to take Jesus into our boat. Do you know that there is a river coming one day that we will all be on the bank of one day? And if you want to successfully and safely cross that river in that day, the only way that happens is by being willing to take Jesus into your boat today. And if you do so, you will arrive safely at the other side. This, by the way, I think Luke echoes in Luke 10, where the disciples return to Jesus and say, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus says, yep, that's cool. But don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So in verse 35, Jesus speaks plainly to the crowds. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He says the same in John 4.14. Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then again in John 7.37 and 8. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Is that your desire this morning? Because if it is, his name is Jesus, and he desires you to welcome him today. But to the crowds in verse 36, he said, As I have told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. See, the crowds wanted Jesus as long as he was useful to them. But they never treasured him, and thus they could never be fully satisfied by him. They wanted physical healing. They wanted tangible food. They wanted temporary peace in their government. And they saw Jesus as a means to obtain all of this. Jesus responds by leaving and going to the mountain. The next day he returns and he offers himself to them. He says, I will be your healing from sin. I will be your soul's nourishment. I will be your peace with God. And to this offer, the crowds in verse 61 grumbled, and then in verse 66 turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus spoke plainly, and now I will speak plainly. God made bread for the glory of God so that when you and I eat bread, we would think of Christ and find our true passion and our fulfillment and our satisfaction in Christ. However, as American Christians who are thankful for the 4th of July and rightfully so to be thankful, we are also very inclined and susceptible to thinking and assuming that American and Christian are synonymous, and they go hand in hand. And they are not, and they do not. For over 400 years now, Christianity has been the dominant religion of this land, and there have been many benefits that Americans have reaped as a result. However, not everything that America has done has always been Christian or Christ-glorifying. And not all benefits lead to glory. 
Yes, the benefits of Christianity within America and within the American heart are endless and they are wonderful. However, the adverse risk to these benefits could deceptively seduce our hearts away from Christ through idolatry and apathy and fear. It works like this. As Christianity produces the benefits of freedom and prosperity within America, American Christians begin to experience a life of comfort and security that is relatively free of persecution. Their faith in Christ is considered normal and therefore low persecution. As a matter of fact, probably a lot of success and prosperity simply because you do Christian things. And as the comfort and security of prosperity grows within our heart, it takes root and it tempts us. It tempts us to lean on and to love, not in place of Christ, but side by side with Christ, lying in bed with Christ, married to Christ. And this prosperity begins to look a lot like Christianity. And apart from God's grace, we are deceived into thinking and idolizing our comforts and our security that our own hard work and our own efforts and our own merits have given us. This then eventually leads to apathy as we begin to treasure our comforts and our security. And we, listen, we feel very much at home in this world. As opposed to foreigners and strangers on earth longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. And then as Christianity eventually begins to become less popular in our land, fear is there to comfort our hearts, reminding us of all the comforts and securities that we may lose if our government doesn't keep supplying them to us. Freedoms and comforts that Jesus promises us that we are not expected to have. John 15, 18 through 21. It then becomes difficult for us to joyfully accept the confiscation of our property because we know that we ourselves have a better and lasting possession. Hebrews 10, 34, being Christ himself. So I'm saying two things. As we wrap up in relation to Christianity and being an American, number one, I'm saying yes to freedom. Yes to freedom in America to worship Christ freely without fear of persecution. Yes to being a light and beacon of freedom, helping and aiding the unfree peoples of the world and in our own land to gain freedom. And yes to our motive and our motto being for the very glory of God and for the success of others. Paul would say this, I wish that all people may become what I am, except for these chains. Therefore, you do not have to desire chains in order to follow Christ. But hear me, you must love Christ more than freedom from chains. And you must keep the gospel, you must love the gospel enough to keep it free from rude 
and fearful responses or social media posts or actions. For love is not rude and perfect love casts out fear. And you know, I think our school children can believe that there is a God who created the universe and who also raised Jesus from the dead. But what I think they're wondering is if this same God is your God and if he can raise you from the dead. In other words, will you respond by fighting evil with more evil like the world would? Or will you overcome evil with good because you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you that live, but Christ that lives within me. And the one who loved you and gave his life for you now dwells powerfully in you so that you can love your enemies, let alone your friends here in Pekin who you disagree with on Facebook. So yes to freedom and yes to standing up for freedom and speaking out to help free those who are oppressed. Yes, 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 yes. But we must do so free from evil, free from hatred, free from fear, free from dishonoring speech, and free from violent actions. We must courageously be strong enough to overcome evil with good, or ladies and gentlemen, we will be overcome by evil. And if not us, our kids and grandkids. Don't let that happen. So, secondly, I say no to this idea that God's purpose and plan could possibly be weakened or even squelched through American Christianity being persecuted. The exact opposite is the message of the Bible and the history of the church. Suffering, not comfort, is the pathway to glory. Romans chapter 8. So I say no to yielding to the idolatry of placing anything as highly as you would place Christ. For idolatry yields apathy and fear as we become all too comfortable in this world and we become fearful of light and momentary afflictions all the while unaware of all the horrible atrocities and sufferings that our brothers and sisters in Christ in this land and throughout the world are experiencing. Therefore, let us not be a church or a people that says, sorry, we're full, go to hell. Rather, let us be the bride of Christ, building a country whose only gate to citizenship is Christ himself, whose only denial to entry is foolish pride, and who welcome with joy all those who would declare their dependence on God. Oh, America, place your trust in Christ today and treasure him above all else. For God does not need America, but America needs God. And it is in God that we trust. Therefore, don't trust in the benefits or the signs that God gives, but rather drink deep from the heart of Christ and treasure Christ in your hearts. Let us American Christians rise to the occasion, asking God for a heart that loves liberty more than life. Oh, America, America, may God thy gold refine till all success be nobleness and every gain divine. 
So I am like this. My son Josh called me a few weeks ago as I was typing this message and he left a voicemail. He just called to tell me that he loved me and that everything that he has done wouldn't be possible without me and his mom and that he appreciates us very much. And I think that I will save that voicemail for a while. This morning, ladies and gentlemen, you have an opportunity to call on your heavenly daddy in whom without nothing would be possible. You can pledge your allegiance and declare your dependence on Christ today. You can taste and see more than bread, but the very glory of God in the face of Christ. He can satisfy you. Listen, you can refuse to drink from the toilet of your own waste any longer. And you can instead be satisfied by the crystal clear rivers of the water of life. Through faith and dependence on Christ today, you can find him completely saving and entirely satisfying. (laughs) So much so that your temporary future here on earth and here in America will not be swayed by political circumstances or outcomes. Today, your name can be written in heaven and you and your soul can be totally satisfied and at peace with Christ. Many of the disciples turned back that day and Jesus looked to the remaining 12 and said, are you too going to leave? And 11 of them said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What are these words that bring eternal life? Come all ye sinners. Come all ye fornicators. Come all ye idolaters. Come all ye drunkards and liars and murderers. Come, you who are thirsty. Come to the waters And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Oh, hear this. Why, oh, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me. And eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. So come today. And eat from the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I pray and close us out this morning, I invite you to call on your heavenly daddy. Ask him for a new appetite that you might see in the face of Christ the very glory of God and that you might love him supreme above all else. I invite you to pray with me. Father, as I said before, my words are incomplete, and all I can do is the easy work of watering and planting that's the easy work that we as human beings can do. But Lord, I pray by your mercy, by your grace, by the miracle-working Jesus, that you would do what we can't do. You would do the hard work And that you would cause growth in us, in our hearts. Would you give us a new appetite for you? As we call on you today, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? 
that we might see the glory of God in Jesus and desire you as people call on you today, as later they watch fireworks and eat bread and spend time with loved ones. Those are all wonderful things that are gifts of God. But as we do that, oh, may we be so cognizant to think of you and to find our true satisfaction in Christ. Would people today call on you? As people watch online, as people are here this morning, would we call on you by faith? And because of your mercy, can we depend on you, Lord? We know that we can depend on you to give us a new appetite for Christ. So Lord, that's what I pray that you would do for these here today. And it's because of your glory and great power that works through your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.